1: Hey, everybody. Danielle here. We've been getting some questions about this, so we just wanted to let you know that our bonus episodes now live on the Wondery app, and you can access them by subscribing to Wondery Plus. So again, to access our bonus episodes, you want to subscribe to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app, and you can continue to listen to the rest of our episodes just as you are now on any platform. Um, You can also, if you are inclined, listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. So it's really just a great value. Okay, to the show.
0: Hey, everybody, welcome to... Another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And uh, we are here with you yet again to talk about films uh, around the world.
1: Not oh, just we here, are? but
0: around the world.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You mean like in general, not today? Yes. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm like, wait,
0: what? (laughs) I was like, we let's talk about the films of our lives, films around the world. (laughs) I wanted, I want people to understand like the the scope of what we do here, and I don't know. I just decided to use that language today.
1: No, but you're right. We're very, we're a wide-reaching podcast. That's right. That's right.
0: How how are you doing? I'm. By the way. I have to say it. I'm caffeinated as fuck.
1: So Same. Okay, good, good. Same. I, I honestly, I truly, I don't think that's going to change. I've tried for the last couple of weeks, and I just automatically show up here with coffee. Yes. And it's morning, and it's going to happen, and it's fine.
0: Yeah, no, this, I think that we should be establishing a baseline of enthusiasm, and this will be it. Multiple coffees. I've already had, like, a full-ass morning, by the way. I woke up Same. early- And went to an estate sale.
1: Oh. Oh, yes. Did you 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 score anything?
0: Well, part of me was that, so I love going to estate sales. I'm one of those antique lady types. And I went to an estate sale because it was in this particular neighborhood here in Atlanta that is essentially like, it's kind of two things. It's primarily a Jewish community. And it's also mid-century modern. Mm. And so I was like on this website, you know, looking at all the estate sales for the weekend. Then I was like, oh, shit, it's going to be in that neighborhood. And it was everything I wanted and more. Um, (gasps) All the houses in the neighborhood were so fucking amazing. And then I went into this estate and it was like 60s. It was like a perfect 60s uh, house. And they had the most amazing wallpaper, the most amazing mid-century furniture. I mean, it was like an unbelievable morning.
1: Whoa. (laughs) That is dope. That's exactly how to do an estate sale too. You plan the neighborhood. Yes. And then you go, I I used to do that um, when I lived in California the first time when I had this the interior slugs. Yes. And I would go and I scored like my first- match a like queen size mattress there for like 20 bucks yeah brand new yes <laughs> like estate sales are wild because people yeah. open their houses and they're like i don't know my grandma died and she just had all this shit and you're like i will take all your shit thank you thanks grandma
0: <laughs> i know and like it's 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 this there's a culture to it. There's so there was a line by the way when i i mean i got there 15 minutes early uh and there was already a line mm-hmm. and i i, I can't I, I can't. I couldn't really figure out like what the story was because that is ultimately like kind of what's most fascinating to me is like who lived in this house and right. they. All I know is that they had a shit ton of like power tools, so I have a feeling that somebody <gasps> in the house was like a construction person, uh, and then there was also like entire bookcases of books about like therapy. So I'm like, huh? Maybe somebody here was into therapy or was a therapist. So I, I was like, this is fascinating. But I, I I'm was sad like, that they
1: died. I wanted, I want to meet a, a construction therapist. <laughs> yes,
0: a construction therapist. <laughs> like that's right in my wheelhouse. Oh my god, that is like a perfect intersection of of your interests at this moment. So that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, uh, but I, I left there. I didn't get a lot because, quite honestly, like. I'm a pro, but I'm not, like, pro, pro. Like, some of those people, like, had stalked the pictures and knew exactly what they wanted and, like, was just, like, boom, boom, boom. But then I was driving driving back, and um, it's spring here in yeah. Atlanta, and it's, like, all the flowers are blooming, like, all the azaleas are out, and... I was like buzzing off the caffeine and I'm like, God damn, it's fucking beautiful outside. (laughs) And I love waking (laughs) up early and doing my tasks. And
1: uh, I don't know. I'm telling you, being a morning person is the shit. It is. It is the shit. I'm going to get you into this old lady lifestyle, like it or not. (laughs)
0: Well, listen, I'm I'm not like a teen. Despite what I look like today, I'm not a teenage boy. I wake up at a, res- a respectable hour.
1: Millie <laughs> is, according to her own father, dressed like an Italian guy who lives in Florida today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's because I'm wearing a black shirt with gold jewelry
1: on top. Your and own father read you <laughs> for Phil. <laughs>
0: he read me for Phil for sure.
1: Um, but, but yeah, no, you, w- you wake I up wake at a respectable hour. Yeah,
0: yeah, not but not your hour. You no. wake up at 5 a.m. right?
1: I wake up around 5 a.m. every day, and what I like about it is that by the time noon or one o'clock rolls around, I can take a nap. I've done everything. Like, I'm done for the day. So anything after that is gravy, and it's still bright out, and the sun's shining, and it's like, I love that feeling. I used to be a total night owl, total insomniac, up until five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. This is much better for me, for me.
0: Yeah, I remember we I think we talked about this on a real early episode, but we talked about how like the secret to to living in L.A. that we found was that if you wake up super early, like the city is yours. Like you can get yes front row parking at Target. You can like eat at every restaurant you want to eat yeah. at and like no one's around. It's awesome. <laughs> it's and like I'm you're like, yeah. Away. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so it's, it, it's it's so fun to wake up early. Now I can't imagine Cause I'm like you in my twenties. Oh my god, I did not go to bed before like four a.m. Yeah, it was
1: physical mayhem. Yes, why I can't even imagine that now. That's insane. And I think it's because we we kind of at that point we were in that weird cusp of not internet internet. So. Yeah, the the fear of missing out was kind of more intense. I think mm-hmm. when we were younger because we didn't know what was happening at any given point. So right. if you're like, "Oh shit, that concert's happening tomorrow," like I didn't know that. Like it was just more of a surprise. Things were more of a surprise. You kind of always had to be on your toes. You had to be more wily back yes. in the nineties.
0: <laughs> back in the day, well, I want to talk about another kind of surprise. If you if you don't mind, can I have the floor I, briefly? By all means. Because I really want to talk to you about this. I have been sitting on this topic for weeks, if not months. And I have been thinking about it in my own head. And I just have to talk about it with someone. And I figured you're the best person to do this, truly. Lay it on me. I'm ready. So I have been watching a lot of TV. I watch a lot of movies, obviously. But mostly TV. And... You know, a lot. We talk a lot about TV shows we're watching. We just talked about how much we love The Righteous Gemstones, and that's a, that's that's part of what I'm about to discuss with you. We'll probably bring this show up, but there's something I noticed about TV right now, mm-hmm. and it's that there's a lot of dongs on TV.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Have you noticed I... that? I have noticed that as well, and okay. it is jarring every time. Yeah, and I don't know who made this decision, and I'm not mad at it necessarily. It is just truly a dick, extravaganza.
0: Yes, we. I I will say I think that we are in the midst of a dongassance. Ah, and here, <laughs> and here, here's why I, I can't carry on after I <laughs> heard dongassance. I can't do it. <laughs> uh, we are in a dong renaissance or dongissance and here's why okay because i want to i want to talk to you about this specifically because we're we're pretty much the same age okay when I, when we were growing up of course there was nudity on tv like on the hbos and the cinemaxes and stuff right right but it was always female nudity Mm-hmm. and it was usually like boobs okay standard <laughs> issue rated r films t- like shows on um cinemax showtime hbo it was topless women
1: okay yes. like standard and and does does not even matter the film i was talking to our mutual friend sarah this week yeah and she has a uh, a son and he's seven and she's like, you know, we kind of over the pandemic instituted this movie night. So we're trying to introduce him to movies from our childhood. And I realized that practically every movie in the 80s just has a topless woman walking around for no reason. (laughs) There's just nothing I can show my son from my own youth because everyone's naked. All women are naked all the time.
0: Women are naked all the time. Um, And then, you know, at certain points, it would move into, like, bottom half female nudity. And that was, you know, pretty risque, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was growing up, and I think when you were growing up, you never saw dicks unless it was a straight-up porn,
1: right? Oh, da- dick was verboten.
0: Yes. And I was like, I, you know, I always thought that if I saw dick... It was we were watching hardcore pornography. Even if it was just flaccid and sitting there, there was no, like, I was like, oh my God, it's a porn because there's a dick, a simple dick just showing in the background. Mm-hmm. It's a porn, okay? So what I think is interesting about right now is that there's just dicks everywhere. Like, oh, yeah. and I will say it's like a lot of it is on HBO because you have, I mean, first of all, when I saw the first season of Euphoria... Yes. I was like, oh,
1: shit. And they made history by showing the most dicks on TV in a consecutive moment. Yes. They showed like a hundred (laughs) dicks.
0: Yeah, they showed tons of dicks. And then I read, I read that and I read some kind of interview with Danny McBride or like uh, one of the producers of The Righteous Gemstones saying that they decided to put more dicks in their show because they had to compete with Euphoria. So like Euphoria raised the bar for dicks and then Righteous Gemstone had to like match it. They felt a pressure to match the dicks. Okay. And so I'm thinking like, okay, so now there's all these, you know, HBO shows that are showing dicks. I just recently watched the first few episodes of that show, Minx.
1: Mm. Mmm. I haven't watched it yet. The first episode of Minx. Dicks everywhere, everywhere. And to be fair, Minx is about pornography, correct? Correct. But, but even still, yes. they would if this move if this TV show had been made ten years ago, they would do a whole show about pornography without showing a dick.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's like what was the show that they did with um before about the like Forty Second Street? It was like James Franco. Oh. The deuce the deuce the deuce i i didn't see many dicks in the deuce i could be wrong about that i only saw the first season but i was like okay like now suddenly we've like leveled up on the dicks then i'm i don't know if you're a fan of these movies i am i fucking love the jackass movies always of have course. i feel like they're they should be considered part of classic cinema at this point but then I saw the recent Jackass movie, and there's always been dicks and balls in Jackass in their right. universe, but man, there are so many in this and most I recent
1: one. I feel like in the movies, and I could be wrong, it's been a long time since I saw the first, second, or third Jackass movie, but I feel like they were blurred, even when they were doing like, like I'm going to staple gun my ball sack or whatever, Like they would still yes. blur it. Yes, and now I, that is gone.
0: <laughs> yeah, they might they might have been. And l- listen, this is my thing. Okay, I'm not coming at this from like a horny lady perspective. No. Okay, I'm simply all about some nude equity. Like I am thrilled that the dongassance is upon us because I'm like finally. I feel like it's good to see dicks in. Tandem with boobs and vaginas. I'm just about that equity,
1: you know. I enjoy that your feminism has leveled up to the (laughs) dongassance, and I think you're you're like, look, fourth way feminism is the (laughs) dongassance. Somehow it's about dicks, but it's still about equity, so it's okay. (laughs) I also appreciate it from an equity standpoint because I think by not showing dongs all those years, they were making it out like dicks were special. Yes! Like yes! dicks were reserved for a special occasion or there's something so mysterious. about Dicks are the most basic fucking equipment. Like there's yes. nothing special about a dick.
0: And I love that the, in The Righteous Gemstones, BPM, beats permitted, there are more dicks on that show than female nudity. In fact, I don't think yes. I saw... Barely, any, I don't. I don't think I saw any female nudity in this last season, but I saw a lot of dicks, and that is chill with me.
1: Completely
0: from an all equity my, all, standpoint.
1: <laughs> from an equity standpoint, I'm cool with it. I just wish that the dongasson had happened when John Ham was still making TV. <laughs> all I gotta say, the dongasson should have happened five years earlier, and maybe we just bring him back for a season of something so we can, you know. I'm I'm just saying. Okay. There's now we're some coming people wish lists okay. <laughs> what is your Dong-A-Sans wish list? <laughs> <laughs> and is it too long to discuss? Yeah. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not I'm just saying. But that, that is an entry point for the Dong sans wish list for me.
0: Right. I I am very, very excited to see what happens in this in this sans I don't know. Uh, how, how, where it's going to go from here, but I'm excited to find out. But I am just glad that you understand what I'm talking about. Cause I've been like, is yes. it me or do I see dicks on TV like all the time now? And All the time. I'm of the age where it, like, I, you never saw dicks on
1: TV when I was no. growing up. So. Oh no, it was, it was scandalous. And th- yeah. this actually plays really well into something Ooh. I wanted to talk to you about this week. And also- but- one of the movies that we're going to talk about this week, the scandalization. Ooh. Um, so I'm glad that the dong for you is not coming from a horny perspective, but just from an equity perspective, because I have been dealing with a lot, as you know, of trying times with my, with the men that work in my house. Oh, of course. And yes. I'm going to save most of my house conversation now for our bonus episodes. I think, I don't think I should take up like too much time with our main feed episodes with house stuff. But I will say that I recently fired my contractor. If you make me cry four times, that's three times too many. Yes. So he had to go. Yes. And I also, so after that, I was feeling a little bit more empowered and like, there's not that much left to do in my house. And so I went out and I I bought a sawhorse and, a fucking nail gun and a fucking sawzall. And I'm like, I'll do it myself. Like, I just went like, you know, those scenes in movies where they have like the drug addict who comes in all sweaty and like robbing a place with a gun or a knife or something. And they're like, just give me one of everything. That was me in this like fucking lumber (laughs) store. I was (laughs) like, I I want four by ten drywall and give me a sawzall and give me. (laughs) I was just like, I'll do it myself. I did calm down and hire another contractor. However, I also ordered my drywall. Yes. So it was delivered to my house, these big four by 10 sheets of drywall. And the guy who delivered it pulls his truck up. And I could tell the minute I walked out of the house that something was going to pop off Mm. because he looked at me like I was a giraffe. I don't know who he expected to come out of this house. But when it was me, he was like, oh, and he was friendly. And he was like, oh, I just delivered a bunch of stuff to Derek Jeter's house. And I'm like, what what about me says I give a shit about Derek Jeter to you. <laughs> Nothing. Because you're a Mets fan, right? Because I'm a Mets fan. First yeah. and foremost, I'm a Mets fan. Also, I thought that he dated like J Lo and it was A-rod, <laughs> which just goes to show you how little I know about Der Derek Jeter. I don't care about him. Sure. Of, of course. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like I don't care about most Yankees. I'm a Mets fan. Sure. So he tried to flex, absolutely didn't land. Then I I say, okay, well, you know, here he was parked in front of the garage and I opened the the garage door, slid it open. And I'm like showing him where I want the drywall to go. And he looks around and the first thing out of his fucking mouth is he goes, oh, this would make a great man cave. Oh my God. And I, I started chuckling and I shook my head and he was like, what? And I'm going to tell you what I said verbatim, because this is how far I've come in terms of men making me feel like shit in my own house or like. Whatever I looked at him and I said, well, you know, it's just it's just funny to me because <laughs> it's a garage, so it's going to be a garage and no man lives here. Also, the phrase man cave is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because if there's anyone who doesn't need to claim more space in this world, it's men. And he wow. looked at me like wow. I don't even, I can't even tell you what he looked at me like. He was not <laughs> expecting that at all. And then he was so off kilter. So then he goes, well, you know, you could still make it a double car garage if you take this door. And I just said, you know, sir, I appreciate it, but this is where I want the drywall to go. And then, because I had been such a bitch to him, I had to make up two dogs to feed. <laughs> and I was like, I'm gonna go in and feed my dogs. Not a dog. I doubled down. I'm like, I gotta go feed my dogs, uh, Cujo and Snake. Like, they'll rip your fucking life apart. They don't don't get fed on time. (laughs) And he delivered the drywall and left my house. (laughs) Yo.
0: The indignity of having to make up family members, pets, boyfriends, husbands, girlfriends. I hate that shit. It makes me feel terrible. Me too. But some people force the hand I, I, I'm like, God, what the fuck? Get some oh, fucking boundaries. Strangers. In the hand.
1: He was looking around my garage and like, oh, you could do this. You could do that. And I'm like, sir, it's going to be a garage. Calm down. <laughs> also, not a single man lives here. And why are you trying to tell me that men need more space in this world? It's bullshit. Then, because of that interaction, I decided I took two pieces of paper out of my printer and grabbed a Sharpie marker and I wrote my house rule. I have a house rule now because of all these interactions I've had with all these shitty dudes. The house rule is as follows. If you are a man, shut your mouth and listen to what I'm saying to you, then do what I say. (laughs) And I put one by the door in the front (laughs) and one by the garage so that when men come to deliver shit or when they come to fucking work on my house, I will just point at the sign. And say, I have one house rule. Shut your mouth and listen to what I'm saying to you. Yo,
0: what a fucking, I mean, listen, I know that you've created this house rule out of necessity, but to me, this rule makes your house sound like the fucking place where, like, Wonder Woman lives. (laughs) What's that? What's that island of women or whatever? I don't know much about Wonder Woman, I have to say. But but isn't that like part of the Wonder Woman mythology yes. where she, like Gal Gadot is from an island of only women or something?
1: Yes. Oh god, it's true. It's true. I fucking I wanted, I had I want to go it. there. This is now a miss a palace of misandry. <laughs> And I will only, I'm going to go so far as to have those signs engraved. I'm going to find a things remembered. I will unearth the last things remembered in this nation. And I'm having them fucking engraved because I've absolutely fucking had it. Like, sir, you're here to do one thing. Drop off drywall. I am not here for your unsolicited opinions about what you would do if this was your house. The guy who came to measure for my countertops was like, oh. You're not going to do a tile backsplash? You do a tile backsplash. I said, sir, I ordered what I ordered. I want what I want. That sounds great. Do it in your house.
0: Yeah, okay. Imagine if the fucking situation was reversed, okay? Imagine if you walked into this guy's uh, unfinished garage uh, delivering drywall and you just like walked around the joint being like, you know what would be fucking cool in here is a fucking cat cafe, right? (laughs) Like
1: (laughs) This would be a great fucking pussy hole or whatever instead of man cave <laughs> pussy hole
0: I, listen i know that people have created the she shed to combat the fucking man cave i mean i just man caves are like what the fuck is a man cave i want a man cave honestly yeah. like i would fucking rock Truly. a man cave but it's like why is it this it's like this like Situation where it's like God, I gotta fucking find a place where I can get away from all these fucking nagging women in my life, and I want to be with my
1: my wife and children. <laughs>
0: <who> I'm supposed <laughs> to love and care for. I want a fucking cooler to be in my love seat.
1: No, now. I. We need to stop. This is how you know that straight people are not okay. We need to stop <laughs> gendering rooms. For the love of fucking God. <laughs> Unless we can counter the man cave with a pussy hole, because she shed doesn't do it for me.
0: She shed is clunky. I don't like, I don't like saying it. I'm like, we get a
1: shed. Also, it indicates that it's like outside the house. Like a shed is outside the fucking house. I want my space inside the house that I am living in. So no, we either call it a pussy hole or we get rid of all fucking gendered rooms. (laughs)
0: What if the entire house was the pussy hole and then the man cave was the crawl space right underneath the where the gophers hang
1: out and that's Absolutely. your little cave? This is, this is 100% what's happening. My whole house is the <laughs> pussy hole and the <laughs> dilapidated barn that I'm going to refurbish, that can be your fucking man cave. <laughs> Except call it, like
0: the raccoon bathroom because <laughs> that's what it actually is. And uh, the
1: gopher (laughs) gut. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm going to absolutely once my house is done, if any man has to come here for any reason, I'm going to be like, go to the fucking gopher gut raccoon bathroom. Make all your deliveries there. Don't fucking talk to me. (laughs) I've goddamn had it. Listen,
0: uh, I am, again, incredibly sorry that you are constantly being disrespected in your own home. Uh, I I want you to write a book about all this, because honestly, I feel like this is like this is probably happening to so many single women who are like moving into their own homes. I mean, obviously, that's like a thing that people are experiencing is that this like this constant like, oh, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And why did you undertake this like financial investment you definitely need my advice every single fucking second you know and i'm just like it's disrespectful man and like listen you out there buying a nail gun okay you're no this is you aren't sitting there like uh being passive
1: hell no i have an air compressor now like i'm ready to fucking go and i I think in the larger sense because this is like yes this is happening in my house and it's annoying in the larger sense I want to reach a point in this world where men realize that their opinion is not valid or necessary in every single fucking situation. Right. I don't need to hear it. If I ask you, you can tell me. Don't volunteer your shit as if you're some great fucking Oracle of Delphi. And I can't get through the day without hearing what you have to fucking say about something. (laughs) Shut your damn mouths. Just if men shut up for five minutes a day, I feel like we could achieve world peace.
0: (laughs) I swear, like I would I would read volumes of of books about this and and your and your whole perspective. So um, not that you need another job, but I'm just saying that, like, I I live for this. Because it's, it's fascinating. Like it's 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 fascinating. You're in this very unique position. Again, I feel like a lot of a lot of women are probably in your position, right? Owning yep. homes for the first time by themselves, and I'm sure a lot of them have trouble vocalizing this shit. Like they're just like, I feel like I'm intimidated by men, and I can't stand up for myself. And they just come in here and fucking like, you know, put me down and make me feel like shit and i just love the house rule i'll go to things remembered with you i got a few things i could get i could get like a fucking engraved frame and do a couple of things and we'll get this shit in brass on a plaque i don't know what you know
1: pick out the wood i'm gonna put a little speaker next to it so that as soon as someone pulls up to my house i'm gonna start playing ride the lightning by metallica (laughs) read the rule (laughs) listen to the music (laughs) Or like, for whom the bell tolls or something. Like, I'm just going to play some fucking intense music as soon as they pull up, press play, and be like, maybe you shut your mouth. And if they don't shut up, I'll just keep turning up the volume. Oh, I can't hear you. What? I can't hear you. But it is. It's a, It's infuriating. I just want... I I think I have been very passive myself for the past few years and trying so hard to create the world I want to live in Yeah. by being more open to hearing... You know, and when it comes to at least the the gender debates to i you know, I'm not necessarily open to hearing bullshit. Right. But I've tried to be like, all right, maybe walk softly, carry a big stick. Uh yeah. uh. Uh-uh. uh-uh. That ain't doing it. Right now I am in full one hundred percent all day every day, twenty four seven beast mode. Yeah. And that's the world I want to live in, where women will speak up for themselves and say what they got to say and stop being intimidated by these fucking chumps. Because guess what? I don't care if you deliver drywall to Derek Jeter. That doesn't give you permission to tell me what to do with my fucking house.
0: I mean, if you deliver drywall to Harry Styles, I'd be like, all right, I'll, I'll take a listen. But <laughs> Derek Jeter. <laughs> it's like. I mean, not that that is uh, at all relevant to the topic at hand, but it's also like, yeah, I love a failed flex. It makes yeah. me laugh.
1: I'm I'm swatting them down now. I'm just <laughs> swatting them down. I can't anymore.
0: Well, I gotta say, between the dongassance and the pussy hole, I hope my mom and dad aren't listening. Just gonna throw you that know out they there. Are. They you know are. They are. And I
1: hope that they're not. They're very supportive.
0: But also, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to put the little e that shows up on the podcast app. They're going to have to make that like 7 fucking inches. Like they're just going to yeah. have to make it show up all over your phone when you when you download We need
1: it. to we need to replace our our podcast image with just a big explicit E. <laughs> also, if it helps, I'm the one who brought up all this horrible language, so I apologize to Mr. and Mrs. De But No. I, I, listen, I was the first person to utter the dong song,
0: so they're like, what did we do wrong as Paris? What, what, what happened
1: here? <laughs> well, something tells me that this is not going to calm down when we get into our films because... Oh, hell no. It <laughs> will not. Do you want to tell them what our theme is this week?
0: Yes. Now... We got a little holiday coming up. We knew this when we did this theme. Uh, Again, uh, a title that comes from the brilliant mind of Daniel Henderson. The theme this week in celebration of Mother's Day is called, kids will fuck your shit up.
1: Yes. (laughs) Your life, your body, your mind. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) kids will fuck your shit up and this is not news to mothers this is not news no it, it sure isn't so
0: yes like listen i swear i think that when we were like pitching a bunch of themes we came up with this like entire slew of episodes about fucking how kids are evil
1: uh like, it's, like it's evil children
0: bench. murdering kids kids will fuck your shit up and we we're like we gotta space this out a little bit so uh, it's such a deep bench movies <laughs> hate children <laughs> <laughs> but look I, I don't have kids i've never birthed a child but i i love kids i I actually love them uh, yeah my my two nephews are the lights of my life and guess what I kind of grew into liking other people's kids too. That's weird for me to say. It used to be that I only liked my own kind, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I just want my nephews around, but I don't want your kids around. Now I'm kind of like, actually, some, some of my friends have cool kids. Not gonna lie. <sighs> and maybe that means that I just generally like them. So I don't want anybody to think that, you know, I, I'm being negative when I say kids will fuck your shit up.
1: They will though. They will fuck your shit up. And also, I'm okay if you think I'm negative about <laughs> <this>. <laughs> I have a whole essay in a book called "Selfish, Shallow, and Self-Absorbed about people yeah. who never wanted to have children. Yes. And there is an essay in that book about this exact thing where people who don't want kids are always... The next thing out of their mouth is always, but I like kids, like we have to justify it somehow. Sure.
0: I, I, I do like a lot of kids though. I mean, you know, like yeah. like I have some friends that whose whose babies are wonderful, who have really cool kids that are like creative and smart and outdoorsy. Those are those kids are great. But I do think it is that thing where it you it is seen as a huge negative if you're a woman and you a don't want to have them but B don't like them. And that's yes. kind of fucked up, right? Exactly.
1: It's it's just, it's very clear to me that we, you know, as a culture, we have a lot of ways to make parents feel good about their choice to have children. And I just wish that people who chose not to have children were given the same kind of space.
0: I don't think I ever wanted them. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. I ever did. And and I just, I don't know, I just kind of felt that throughout my life. And uh, there was like a there was maybe a moment like when my nephews were born that i thought huh i did not do that that's interesting but yeah. that, I, there wasn't a need for me like i didn't feel it within me um and i just i just had other things to do i guess but yeah. I, I i like them but guess what these two movies mm. will make you be like why do kids exist and why are they evil because yo these kids in these movies Mm. are real pieces of work
1: i have to say like hall of fame pieces of work
0: and let me just tell you i have not seen your movie since it came out and i'm sitting here watching this movie being like somebody's gonna have to push her off of a hill or a cliff or something sorry sorry about that but like this she is wreaked what i mean. so much havoc this little this little bitch
1: thank this is this is what i fucking mean i remember when i remember when my movie came out and people lost their shit they were loving it like it was a big deal movie it was a big deal movie for me for a completely different reason which is that nobody was talking about this little hellion <laughs> who ruined multiple lives <laughs> I'm like, wait, why are you focused on like the love story and this and that? This little motherfucker does not need to be revered. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to talk about my movie, but we're going to get to your even, movie first.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to talk about your movie because I have several uh, points I'd like to bring up and I hope you bring them Excellent. up before me. Um, and I know you probably will. But yeah, let's my movie. I'm going first this week. Um, this is an oldie but goodie when it comes to these shitty ass kids an oldie but goodie a real shitty kids classic so my movie for the theme kids will fuck your shit up is a movie from 1955 the screenplay uh was written by peggy thompson but it came from an original story by edna l lee and harry lee Directed by Douglas Sirk, and it's called All That Heaven Allows.
1: This mother, somebody in this family's got to think straight.
0: And you don't think I can?
1: I think all you see is a good-looking set of muscles.
0: Why, Ned? All That Heaven Allows, I, I must admit, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Made by one of my all-time favorite directors, Douglas Sirk, and... You know, if you're not familiar with Douglas Sirk, he is essentially the king of the 1950s melodrama, which is one of my favorite places in cinema space and time, like that era. I'm a huge fan of like a 50s melodrama. And just a little about Douglas Sirk, if you will, he was German born and he came to Hollywood basically to flee the Nazis um, because his wife was Jewish. And, you know, he made a lot of uh, different types of movies in his career, but he's definitely best known um, for these 50s melodramas, which sometimes were called women's pictures, quote unquote, or even weepies or some other fucking pejorative term for (laughs)
1: <laughs> like, it sounds like the worst brand of cereal ever created. <laughs> weepies. Did you eat your weepies this morning? <laughs> That's if you lost the race
0: and you have to eat cereal. And the and the and the person on the cover isn't like Mary Lou Redden. It's like whoever lost to Mary Lou <laughs> Like somebody's like, no medals. I'm crying. I'm
1: eating my weepies instead of my weedies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, l- look, these weepies, if you will, was were, they were very, very popular in like a post-World War II America, right? I think we all know a little bit about history. And the thing about the Cirque movies, though, is that they were visually stunning. Like, if you saw this movie before you listen to the podcast, you know this, because... All, all of his movies in this era very 50s color palette vibrant the shots that he uses are very composed the locations are usually in suburbia but they have like a lot of natural elements too so like snow and trees and birds i mean it sounds like they filmed all these movies in fucking warwick new york is what i was thinking <laughs> this idyllic little town god damn it yes and it was it was that was like a huge part of the vibe of these circ movies and the thing about it is that these movies had kind of the same tropes i mean they were appealing to women in this era right so there's a lot of the same shit going on there's like these movies are, are typically about the family a lot of dead spouses a lot of dramatic illnesses and it's always like there's gossip in these small towns and a lot of like class-based or race-based scandal type stuff um sexual repression and you know so you name it it was just like these are these very like dramatic you know kind of soap opera type things right but subsequently like through the years these movies were being re-examined by filmmakers and by viewers and they became highly influential and now Douglas Sirk is in the fiber of of pretty much every gay director (laughs) in Hollywood I mean you have he's in the movies of uh, Maldivar Pedro Maldivar Todd Haynes uh Fassbender John Waters I mean he's he's kind of ubiquitous and you know, here's the thing. Like, I love these movies because I'm fascinated by the gendered nature of them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and some of them were like very secretly subversive. I feel like the Cirque movies were a little secretly subversive. And I just love too, how these new directors like Omel Devar, like Todd Haynes, um, you know, do these kind of like revisionist spins on the melodrama. I just love him. Just love him, love him, love him. And dig into Cirque if you haven't. There's a lot of great movies that he did. But um, a one-sentence synopsis of All That Heaven Allows. Are you ready?
1: Oh, I'm ready. Okay.
0: A suburban widow cannot have five seconds of fucking happiness because literally everybody in her life, except maybe her doctor, Wants her to stay lonely and miserable until she dies. That's it. Nail on the head. That's that it. is it. That's it. They don't want this woman to live. From jump. They don't want From her to jump. Live. It gets going real fast, which you know I love. And I, and like I said, I, I mean, listen. It's hard for me to not get emotional when I talk about this movie because I feel so strongly about what is being presented
1: mm-hmm. in this
0: film. Um, so the the movie is ostensibly about a woman named carrie scott who is played by the actress jane wyman whom maybe kids of the 80s will know she used to be married to Ronald reagan but she had a career before she married Ronald reagan so i'm just saying that carrie scott in this film she's a widow and she has two kids both of whom are i guess they're not living in the house full-time i guess maybe like one's away at college and maybe the daughter's in like a prep school scenario but they, they seem like they come home on the weekends,
1: right? Right. And they're both like older children. Older.
0: Older. Like the son seems like he's fucking 40 years old. That's like another thing. Yeah, he's a fucking adult. <laughs> like he, they, they are not babies. They are fucking adults. Okay. So put a pit in that. We'll get back to that later. But so they live, of course, in this very perfect suburban town. And one day Carrie is out talking to her gardener and the gardener is this man whose name is ron kirby and he is played by the actor rock hudson okay and we've talked about rock hudson before on this podcast was we did seconds last year but let me just tell you right now i cannot stress this enough okay rock hudson and all that heaven allows this might be his most hunky yes he is an absolute (laughs) dreamboat in every way imaginable in this film OK, like Ron Kirby is basically the archetype for like every male Instagram influencer who's like rehabbing old barns with his wife. That is
1: exactly what I was going to say. Like, he is the <laughs> the proto Instagram guy with the hair bun and the flannel turning a van into a house.
0: Yes. Yes. Ron Kirby laid the foundation for all those motherfuckers for sure. Like, Ron Kirby is, like, this gentle giant. I mean, he, like, lives in the woods. He's got, you know, his flannels, his hat. He has a wood-paneled station wagon. I mean, come (laughs) on, people. And the, uh, but the the big thing about him is that he's, like, very, like, sensitive and soulful and he's into nature because he's a gardener. And in this era, right, he would have been, like, a bohemian. I Mm -hmm. mean, like, and this is, I think, very, important to this story because in this era of american culture he's a freak like he's a freak right right and so the thing about carrie is that she's so indoctrinated in this like suburban housewife lifestyle but she's intrigued by this guy and you know she's Again, living on her own, her husband passed away, so she's kind of like, okay, what's going on with this guy? He's a little bit younger than me, but you know, he's a beautiful soul, and may- maybe I should talk to him a little bit more. So, cut to Carrie's kids coming home for the weekend, and like she's got, like I said, a son and a daughter. The son is named Ned. The daughter is named Kay, and right out the gate, they establish themselves as the most annoying kids on the planet. Ugh
1: instantly both of them in in totally different ways but they are both very much not my people
0: yes like the son ned is classic finance bro like he's just like a fucking annoying preppy guy the daughter is like she attended like one psych 101 class and now she's like i know everything about Ah. everybody it's like so fucking annoying so already they're like all right and The other thing too is that they're so nosy about their mom and they're just like asking her about her love life and everybody in town, including them, seems to want to fix their mom up with this old drip,
1: really. Oh, this guy.
0: Yes. His name is Harvey, which is a perfect name for a guy like this,
1: right? And Harvey, like if you know what Rock Hudson looked like in this era, Harvey could not be more the polar opposite. He is like a, a corn husk doll. Next to, like, (laughs) a surfer. Like, he's just so gross.
0: (laughs) Yes. And, like, Carrie is not feeling him. She feels no excitement for him. But it's that thing where, like, everyone's like, but come on, Carrie, you're lonely. Just get with this guy. Who fucking cares? And, you know, she's just like, oh, I can't. But, yeah. And
1: one thing I can't stand that one of her friends said very early on in the movie as she's trying to urge her to go out with Harvey is... Well, you know, he's 40, so anything over 18 is too old. Like basically take your chance while you can, you old hag.
0: Exactly. Like her best friend, um Sarah, uh who is played by like the classic movie melodrama BFF Agnes Moorhead. Yeah, she's basically, "Well, come on, darling, come to my party. Bring Harvey. He's delightful. You're 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 going to die by yourself." You know, it's like everyone is like coercing her to date this guy she doesn't want to fucking date. And it's depressing as shit, right? And the other thing that is even more depressing, and I find this very interesting, is that everybody in her life is also, like, trying to get her to buy a television. Yeah.
1: Because, yeah, like, that's going to cure loneliness.
0: Right, and that that's the crazy thing. I guess I didn't realize this, but maybe, like, in this era, apparently a big selling point for the television business was, like, this will cure
1: women's loneliness. You always have someone nearby.
0: Right, yeah, Always have somebody nearby. You're not working. Your husband's out. Like, this is going to like, you know, make you feel real nice. Like, you know, woman of the fifties. And I'm like, damn, that is fucking crazy. like, so they're tr- tr- everybody in her life, in- including because trying to get her a fucking TV, which is so insulting.
1: And these, um, these are her choices a television or Harvey. Or
0: Harvey. It's like, wah, wah. Just the definition. Ron comes back to the house at some point and he's like, hey, want to come to a dinner party at my friend's house in the woods upstate? And at first she's like, should I? But then she's like, okay. Um, so she goes to this party. And of course it's the complete fucking opposite life, right? It's this like amazing party with his two friends that are a married couple who were, you know, basically like they decided to like leave the suburban world. And now they're just like living in the woods with him. And, and you know, he's got, there's all these friends. There's like artists and bird watchers and lobster Men and they're they're eating they're drinking wine and playing songs Wait. and everyone's dancing and like Wait, lobster men. Yes <laughs> Like there's a guy that sells lobsters that comes to the <laughs> that I said what are they called? Lobster the Fishermen. Fish mongers? Lobster mongers?
1: Oh, they're lobster just fishermen. but I like lobstermen so much more now because yes. it sounds like a, like a, a creature
0: <laughs> lobsterman. <laughs> like. So the lobsterman comes too, like in his family, you know? But it's like this whole other like vibe. And you know, he's they're all like, get loose, Carrie, come on, like come on and drink some of this wine, get on the dance floor, girl. You're you're awesome. And she notices that, like, predictably Ron is reading Walden or mm-hmm. at least knows about Walden so he's like a transcendentalist and it's like that tracks but it's like all this information where she's just like wow here's this like beautiful amazing guy that i literally never run across like i never meet guys like this and you know predictably they start falling in love they they start mm-hmm. hanging out a lot together and of course everybody in the fucking neighborhood back home is like pss, 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 pss. What the fuck? And he's like,
1: he's younger than her. And it's like all these different endpoints to why they can't handle this relationship.
0: Oh my God, totally. And like, and and as much as Carrie wants it, she's like starting to freak out a little bit because like, you know, they, all the chatter, all the fucking chatter. And here's the thing. A lot of it is because he's poor. Yep. Right? Totally (laughs) class-based. Yeah. Which is a huge issue for these fucking movies. It's like, I can't believe she's going to like, Go slumming it with this transcendentalist gardener. He he ain't got any money.
1: Meanwhile, he fucking has his own business. He lives in a beautiful house. Like, it's yes. she's like, it's one room, but, you know, he has, like, it's attached to a greenhouse, basically. Yes. And then he has this barn that he's converting. And he has, like, this beautiful life.
0: Yeah. And, and here's the thing. This is, uh, again, another point where I get, I'm like, I cannot get emotional about this. But, like, basically her like he wants her to move up there so he right. wants to get married and he wants her to move up there because she's living ostensibly a, a, a on her own her kids are not living there full-time but she's like well i can't because i don't want to my kids grew up here and you know i want them to still have their house and i'm like can't they get an apartment or something? Like, why do you need to keep this house? Like, I understand there's sentimental value at a certain point, but also like, again, the kids, they, they play too much in the decision-making and I will get to that in just a mm-hmm. second, but it's already on her mind. She's like, I can't for these kids. Right. Yep. So here's where I'm starting to get real fucking upset about this shit because these kids again are not babies okay and like i said the oldest son he can get an apartment or live in his frat house okay so eventually carrie works up the nerve to tell her kids hey i'm dating ron and not harvey who you wanted me to be with so badly and these kids flip the fuck out
1: lose their minds
0: the son especially and the pretty much the entire reason why is because he's a fucking gardener that's the thing the son is exactly. like, but he's a gardener well and she like, raised
1: these very spoiled entitled children and now it's coming back to haunt her like yes she raised these kids in this way and as long as they stay in that house and in that neighborhood they can get away with that shit yes but when they turn it on her she's like oh i completely fucked up yes like i raised some heartless ghouls
0: Oh, of course. And it's like, it's, it pains me because like the son is like pretty mean about it. Like he's like, oh, yeah, uh, no, you're not going to date this guy. And I'm like, excuse me, who asked you? Okay. Here's another thing. Carrie at one point is just like, hey, Ron, okay, if we really want this to work out, like come, come to my side of town. I want to take you to this party for my friends. And all these bitchy ass neighbors are, are waiting for them to show up because they're like, ooh, I can't wait for this shit show okay and you walk, and when they walk in <laughs> you're like you're like l- watching this party like all these fucking husbands look like shit
1: mm-hmm. all
0: the husbands of this community they're just like these doughy boring office guys with their like mustaches R- R- ron carrie are really trying really hard to stay in this relationship but you know carrie is just like buckling under this pressure and you know Uh, Ned is starting to use like real, like nuclear options, you know, like he's basically Mm -hmm. like, like Ron comes to the house to meet the kids and Ned is straight up like, you know, you're shitting on our dad and you took his trophy down and you don't fucking remember him. And it's just like a low blow. Right. And And
1: there's also talk in the town that because Ron has been the gardener for the house for so long because his father owned the business and he's worked with him. Now there's rumors going around that perhaps she had an affair with Ron while her husband was alive.
0: Yes, because Sarah or whomever, I think it's Sarah, workshops this entire scenario where it's (laughs) like, um, yeah, so if people see you with him, then they're going to think that you were cheating on him when your husband was alive and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay. Why don't you not say any of that? Because it ain't fucking true. But now you're like, oh, here's a perfect story a scandal in a box. Here you go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but the kids are like really fucking against it. Like Kay comes home crying because she's like, she's doing this thing. Where it's like, well, all the kids at school are talking about how you're dating this young poor guy and it's (laughs) affecting my relationship with my boyfriend and we almost have to break up because I'm so stressed out about you. And I'm just like, they're just both both Kay and Ned using every guilt trip in the book to make their mom break up with this guy that she really wants to be with. And wouldn't you know, eventually the pressure gets to Carrie and she dumps Ron. And here is what... Really fucking sends me over the edge about these two little dipshits, these kids. Okay, Carrie dumps Ron. Then she calls Ned at school, and it's like, "Hey, look, I dumped Ron. It sucks." And Ned is just like, "Okay,
1: cool. I gotta go. Bye." Yeah, she's so, like, "Are you coming home for the holidays?" And they're like, "Yeah, we'll be there. Maybe, maybe." Yeah.
0: Carrie goes to the train station to wait for them like she always does. And they don't even come home. And then the next time they see her, it's like around Christmas time. Two things happen. One K reveals that she's getting married to mm-hmm. her boyfriend. And then Ned states that he's going to move to fucking France and that they should sell the house because it's too much for his mom to to take care of living by
1: herself. This part threw me into such a tantrum. I could not believe it. I'm like, she gave up a great love, a great relationship because you didn't want to get rid of this fucking house. Everything they told her to do, like, don't get rid of our house and you have to be here for us. And now they are marrying people and leaving the country exactly and it's all for nothing she did all all of that for nothing
0: and the true cherry on top of this shit fucking sunday for carrie scott is that for christmas those kids get her a fucking tv and you're just like i have dissociated and i swear like these kids are going down i don't know how we're going to have to get a sniper in France. I don't know how this is going to happen. Like, oh my God. I will say this. I'm not going to give away the end of the movie, even though predictably, I mean, this movie is so old, but predictably there's a very Hollywood ending. And I think you might know it does involve Ron falling down an embankment. I'll just say that <laughs> because you got to have some drama in there. Right. And there might be like a coma situation. I mean, you know how it's going to go it's it's truly the best the best hits of the melodrama tropes but like i there the last there was three four phrases that i wrote at the end of my notes that have kind of turned into a poem for me and i'd like to share those with you worst christmas ever fuck them kids med fuck off they get her a tv eat shit kids (laughs) that's the end that that was the
1: last four lines of my notes for this week. I think that is a brilliant summation of this film. <laughs> <laughs> Eat shit, kids. <laughs> Eat it's shit. true. These kids were infuriating throughout. And this is to speak to the larger theme of this era, where this movie points out something that was very true for most of society is that... Women and widows, like unmarried women and widows, Mm -hmm. they would rather have them sit in a house and die rather than date someone outside of their social class or try anything different or do anything that was socially unacceptable. Right. And all the socially unacceptable rules were completely arbitrary and class based and racist and horrible. And they pushed they were they were genuinely telling women like we would rather you would just die yeah then find love again yeah
0: and and how you know her happiness like other people like determining her happiness for her and it's like all based on her economic status and her like you know it's respectability politics and shit and it's Mm -hmm. just sort of like depressing as hell like from a modern lens you're looking at that being like goddamn like how do how do the women deal with it i guess that's why the 70s yeah. happened or whatever yeah. but it's like really a lot and it's also
1: a huge issue where i feel like it's it, it speaks to the sacrifice that mothers in particular are supposed to make for their children like i was watching this movie and i'm like how much is going to be enough for these motherfucking kids yeah like when is it going to be enough how much does she have to give them of herself and deny herself for their comfort right will it ever be enough and the answer is no so i think it's a delicate balance like you have to figure that out as a parent you know like what you know what kind of sacrifices you're willing to make or able to make but at a certain point do you not get to reclaim yourself again you're right Oh, it drove me wild. It drove me absolutely bonkers watching this movie.
0: Yeah. Well, and listen, uh, we're having a lot of fun with this, ep- this movie, obviously. But there's, I mean, there's obvious, like, very interesting implications of the story, right? And it's been written about a lot. So I would just encourage people to, like, go on the internet and search for, like, academic writing about this movie, but the Cirque movies and melodrama. I've got, like five books on my shelves about melodrama movies from the fifties. I'm obsessed, but you know, at the end of the day for this theme, I'm like, these kids are fucking some people's lives up. And, you know, and hopefully at the end, you know, without giving away the ending, maybe the, the, maybe Carrie has the last laugh, but in the moment of the films, these kids suck so bad. And I'm just, (laughs) I'm like screaming at them. And I just thought it would be like a good pick. Um, For the theme. But I I do love this movie legit. But I also love hating the kids in this movie. It's like my favorite, my favorite evil kids pretty
1: much of all time in film. It's a great pick. It is a great pick. Well, talking about evil kids. Oh, hell. Okay. My (laughs) movie. And I'm just going to tell you now. I am going to spoil the ending of this movie because I have to in order to get to the crux of why I chose it for this theme. Thank God. So, my film for the theme of kids will fuck your shit up was released in 2007, directed by Joe Wright. The screenplay was written by Christopher Hampton, but it is based on a novel by Ian McEwen. And my movie is Atonement. You saw him? Yes, I saw him. I know it was him. You know it was him? I saw him with my own eyes. I have so much to say about this fucking movie but we'll start with a one sentence synopsis mm-hmm. and it was hard for me to pick because i have two sentences i'll read you the one that i went with and i'll read you the one that i was going to go with uh, okay so my one sentence synopsis of atonement is too much trauma in one day can cause kids to make life alteringly horrible decisions <laughs> yes now, my other one sentence synopsis was going to be never trust a privileged kid who had those realistic plastic animals
0: <laughs> God damn <laughs> so life's too
1: good. Life's too good. <laughs> life is so too fucking good. <laughs> I am going to start by explaining who the players are, who the characters are. okay because the, the the way that this movie unfolds is that there's kind of one day that changes everything. Um, for all of these characters' lives, and it's told in a very back and forth kind of way. So we're we're in one perspective, and then we're in another, and then we're like it's told in an interesting visual language. But the characters that we have are Bryony, who's played by uh, Saoirse Ronan, and she plays this thirteen-year-old little precocious kid. Um, her sister Cecilia, who's played by Kira Knightley. Then we have Robbie. Uh, the housekeeper's son who's played by James McAvoy and Robbie um, Bryony's family put Robbie through school like through Cambridge so he um, has been part of this family for a very long time and is the same age as Cecilia and actually went to Cambridge with Cecilia but she pretended that she didn't know him while they were there yikes and then you have Paul Marshall played by Benedict Cumberbatch and he is and I'm not fucking with you a chocolate millionaire (laughs)
0: how many of them are in the world at this moment there's willy wonka
1: that cadbury's lady (laughs) i don't even know i don't even know who makes cadbury's if it's a lady if it's a family i forgot he was in this movie by the way i i completely forgot because at that
0: time he wasn't huge we didn't know benedict cumberbatch right
1: No, he had not rocked our worlds yet. (laughs) And I I adore him as an actor. I think he's fantastic. And he is a real motherfucker in this movie. Yeah. And he is also a chocolate millionaire. I just don't want anyone to forget that. (laughs) (laughs) What a fucking title to have. (laughs) I'm just going to start calling myself that and see what people say they'll be like is that is this a race thing is this because she's
0: black (laughs) i am urging you to stop recording so you can change the bio on your instagram right now
1: (laughs) chocolate millionaire so this 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 movie kicks off with this one day that changes everything and the the events of the day is that Bryony's cousins are visiting Lola and these two little twin boys are visiting um, because their parents are kind of fighting or going through a divorce and they're just, they hate being there, but they are there. So Bryony is writing a play for them to perform in because Paul Marshall, the chocolate millionaire is coming back to visit with their older brother. And so they're kind of just going to throw a party. Like they're going to fet him um, during that evening. So, Bryony is scandalized in two distinct ways and the first pivotal scene is when she's writing her play and her cousins aren't into it and she looks out the window and she sees her sister Cecilia jumping out of a fountain in her slip right in front of Robbie who Bryony has a huge crush on it is revealed that Bryony has a huge crush on him Then Cecilia, and then you kind of go back in time, and you see the reason that Cecilia was in the fountain is that they were kind of, you know, talking and joking around, and he broke a vase, and she was very upset about it, so she had to dive in to retrieve it and try to fix it. But when she gets out, it is, like, full Merkin on display, like, she is totally... Bryony is scandalized because she's like, I'm seeing my sister's whole body in front of a man, which in this day and age doesn't happen because this is a, a movie that takes place around World War I. Well, let,
0: let me ask you this. I'm, I'm just curious what you thought. So before they reveal what's actually going on, d- did you have a sense of what was happening before you knew? Like when you were like looking through Bryony's eyes, were you looking at that scenario going, what the fuck is going on here? Why, why is she oh, in yeah. the fountain?
1: Oh, yeah. It's completely set up to be that way that you're like, what is actually happening here? Sure. And what's wild, though, is from Kira Knightley's stance, from from Cecilia's stance, it doesn't seem like anything untowards is happening. Like she's standing yeah. there very, very powerfully, you know, and like Robbie's the one who should be scared. So it doesn't seem like there was any danger there.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think because I had been a long time, obviously, since I've seen this movie and I that part came up and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that this is like one of the pivotal moments. And I'm like, it seems like to me, I was like, is she trying to get him to come into the fountain and have a little swim with her? And he's like, get away from me. Don't push me in this fountain. Like, I don't want to get wet because I'm going to my friend's house later. And she's just like, come on, you big nerd. Like, get in here. So I was kind of like, I think that's kind of like what I thought was happening. Yes. So, so when it's revealed that Bryony thought it was so... Um, salacious and scandalous yeah oh shit okay i guess and that's
1: a child's mind that's a 13 year old sheltered child's mind right that she was like this is a guy i have a crush on my sister's standing in front of him practically naked there has to be something bad happening here right right and the other thing that happens is that robbie goes home after this you know because he's you know again his mom's a housekeeper he kind of works at the property um And he goes home to type this letter of apology to Cecilia. And he first is just typing and trying to be sincere. And then, you know, he does the thing where he rips the paper out and is like, nah, that's not right. Then he very jokingly, and while he is typing, smiling and laughing, writes something incredibly salacious about Cecilia, and it involves the word cunt. And then he does, he does the same thing. He rips the paper out, sets it on the desk and then writes her an actual apology letter by hand, like typing isn't doing it. So he's just kind of flexing his a little bit. He's kind of, you know, laughing at himself and like, you know, he really, cause what's being revealed here also is that he is very into Cecilia, like Cecilia and Robbie actually really like each other or into each other. And so this scene definitely helps us understand that, but it also gives us a sense of like his sense of humor and how jovial he is. And like again, this is a time frame where you don't say these things about anyone, especially someone you love.
0: I know. I was kinda like, nah, Robbie, why'd you have to write the joke letter? The joke letter? Like, I, know. I don't know. There could be a switcheroo coming up.
1: Don't write the joke letter right now. Write it later. Also, Even if you just, like, crumple it up and throw it in the waste bin, someone can still see it, Robbie. No, just keep the jokes in your
0: head, man.
1: Well, he doesn't, and (laughs) shit pops off. What happens is, he gets in his little tuxedo and gets ready to go to the party, and he's walking down the lane, and he sees Bryony, and he gives her the letter Mm. to give to Cecilia. Bryony takes off with it. She's like Sonic the fucking Hedgehog. She runs (laughs) home... (laughs) (laughs) with this with this letter and then she reads it she reads it she takes it out of the envelope and reads it and she is scandalized because she is reading the word cunt Mm. so she has had a day where first she sees her sister half naked in front of her crush and now she's reading him writing a letter to her about what he wants to do to her vagina so briony is short fucking circuiting at this point she goes and tells her cousin Lola um all about it like this letter and Lola is played by Juno Temple and I did not mean to pick two movies this month that had Juno Temple but Juno Temple was also the daughter in Notes on a Scandal ah interesting Mm -hmm. so Bryony goes and tells Lola and they decide that Robbie is a sex pest they're like he is a sexual maniac
0: a sex maniac
1: like instantly like oh my god he's a sex maniac we better watch our shit around this guy (laughs) then she does give the letter to cecilia opened and cecilia is like wait whoa did you read this (laughs) and brianie just leaves it's like whatever god damn that is some
0: little sister ass shit am i right right? my sister would do shit like that to me all the time like she was exactly always getting my sorry if you're listening stephanie i'm calling you out right now she was just opening my mail. She would sometimes like pick up the phone while I was talking on the phone and then mm. listen on another phone. And then you could hear her going, <sighs> and I'm like, I know you're there. All I'm doing <laughs> is talking about going to get pizza with my friends. Like, it's not like a scandalous thing, but like little sister shit, like <laughs> opening my mail. I was already like, "Ryany, Uh, uh
1: like oh, completely. And then she just leaves. She doesn't even like talk it through. <laughs> she leaves. Like, she couldn't talk. Here's your cut letter. Room. bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs> you you dirty bitch. Like she's just like Shit. Puts, she puts, <laughs> she puts both of them instantly in this category of like sexual deviants. God. So then the party happens. And it's a party for the chocolate millionaire Paul and <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't not laugh.
1: And the third <laughs> And the third and final moment that pushes Bryony completely over the fucking edge is that she sees Robbie and Cecilia having sex in the library. Mm. And it Mm. is like up against the wall, hot and dirty sex. And she stands there and watches. But there's no time to be scandalized because the twins, her cousins, the twin boys have run away. So during the search, you know, everyone's searching. Bryony, again, scandalized, traumatized, has had a rough fucking day. <laughs> oh, God. This is the worst day of her life. She's 13. During the search, she's off on her own and she flashes upon Lola, who is getting raped by a man in a tuxedo. They're like in the field by a mm-hmm. pond, like in the woods. And Lola, who was, also looking for her brothers is being raped. And all Bryony sees is a man in a tuxedo. But guess what? All of the men are in tuxedos. Right. And then the man runs away when he hears Bryony. So everyone's kind of catering to, you know, taking care of Lola. And Bryony, like the little traumatized snitch she is, (laughs) tells everyone it was Robbie that raped Lola.
0: I'm just curious... From your perspective what, what made what did what why do you think she actually said it was Robbie do you think it had something to do with like just her anger of the situation or was she just like like what what, what why do you think that that happened?
1: I think that she was very hurt by seeing mm-hmm. Robbie and her sister together and realizing that they were developing a relationship. Right, And I also think that she wanted to kind of get back at him. And she's 13 years old. So she knew what would happen if she made this accusation. And that is something that made me think of this movie instantly when we said kids will fuck your shit up. Because this wasn't an innocent kid doing an innocent act. She comes from a very moneyed and class-based background. So she knew exactly what would happen if she accused the housekeeper's son of a sexual act. Right. Right. Or sexual assault. Right. So I think she truly was so hurt that he had rejected her because she's 13. Yeah. That she wanted to make his life a living hell.
0: Yeah. All right. Yeah. I just, I was, I really wanted to ask you that. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: And especially because while she's telling everyone that it was Robbie And everyone's like, Are you sure? Are you sure it was Robbie? Like, you saw his face, it was Robbie. And she didn't see anybody's face. Right. Then she doubles down and gives her mom the letter as some kind of proof. Yeah. Mm. So Robbie, who has actually just been out looking for the twins (laughs) still, comes back with the kids. He finds them and he's like, Cool, everything's great. I helped find the kids. I'm a hero. Comes back and gets arrested. Yeah. And Cecilia's like devastated and he is arrested and thrown in the back of a car. His mom's freaking out. Like everyone cannot believe what is happening. And it is all happening because Bryony had her 13 year old feelings hurt by a crush. Yeah. And And I want to be generous about that. Like, I want to be generous and be like, oh, I know. I remember what it was like to be 13 and, you know, to have those feelings. But I can't. I can't imagine doing something that dastardly, yeah, even at that age.
0: Well, and this is like I think too to this point exactly, the 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 part of the movie which I'm not sure if you were going to talk about this, but the part where it it's a flashback to this scene with Bryony and Robbie, and mm-hmm. she jumps into the lake or the pond. Yes, and. Robbie basically has to save her life and it was this kind of this like devotion test yes. or something that's like that scene when you think about like what's happening with this with this character like in that way that you just spoke about like it does make me think that this shit is like pretty evil Because I'm like, yes, she knows like she knows what's going on. And she absolutely
1: knows. And when he does when she does that, when she jumps into this pond and has to be saved by him, he's pissed. He's like, you're an idiot little kid. I have work to do. You could have actually died and you did this on purpose. And he's pissed about it. So she absolutely knows that this is what's going on here.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I know we. <laughs> you just mentioned notes on a scandal, but it's that thing from that movie of that a moment of, like, somebody is just so upset that their love is not requited or whatever, that they're mm-hmm. just, like, pulling these really shitty tricks, and it has this massive effect on the rest of, you know, her her life, but also the life of her family and people
1: that she knows, so... Absolutely. And what and this is where I'm going to get I'm going to talk about the end of this movie because I have to. Yeah. Um, what ha- what ends up happening then is we cut to Robbie has been sent in j- sent to jail. But four years later, he's in France fighting in the war. And he tells one of his you know fellow soldier soldiers that they let you out of prison if you sign up for the army. So that's the only reason he's out is to fight. He also sees Cecilia before he leaves. And she's a nurse now and hasn't spoken to her family in years. The wild thing is that Bryony is also a nurse and she's still a writer. She's still, you know, writing and typing at night and doing her thing, but she's a nurse. So there's a moment in this film where you say, is this her atonement for everything she did to these, to her family and to mm-hmm. her sister? like becoming a nurse and following in her footsteps and trying her best to help other people? Is this her atonement for what she did? And it's not, but we'll get there. Mm -hmm. So then we cut to Robbie at war and Robbie is having a real fuck of a time at war. He's seeing fields of dead kids. Horses are being shot in the head in front of him. Big old ships are abandoned on the beach. Like he is not having a good time of it. And Bryony is trying to get in contact with Cecilia back in London. You know, she's kind of trying to write her letters and see her. And there is a scene where they reconnect and Robbie has come home after being, you know, like shell-shocked basically. And he's kind of stalking in the background while she's trying to talk to her sister, who absolutely does not forgive her. Yeah. Bryony also, while she's in London... Goes to Lola's wedding because Lola is marrying Paul, the chocolate Chocolate millionaire. millionaire. Damn. And during the ceremony, she realizes it was Paul who raped Lola,
0: Mm.
1: which is another fucked up movie of its own. Yes, yes. But she has this realization way too late. Like lives have been destroyed already. Then we cut to present day and Bryony now is Vanessa Redgrave and she's written 21 books. So she did become a writer. She has vascular dementia. So she's dying and she reveals that everything that has happened in the movie was made up. Everything after the event of Robbie getting arrested was completely made the fuck up because both Robbie and Cecilia died in the war so she prevented true love she's the reason they're both dead and she fucking knows it so she wrote this book as a way to like put them together in a way that they were never able to be in life and i was furious when i saw oh, this yeah. movie i did not i mean people around me were like sobbing and crying and i'm like i am not crying for this devious little motherfucker this oh, yeah. is horrible there is no atonement.
0: Totally. It, to- it was a total flip the table over moment because you'd realize that like, like nobody had a happy ending. Exactly. You know, and you're just like, God damn. Like the consequences of your little bitch ass 13 year old bullshit really fucking fucked everything up. And you're, it's the, the scope of it is so insane. Mm hmm. You know, and you're, you're right. Cause there, there is that debate. I think a little less with my movie, but definitely your movie of like, okay, like she's 13. How bad could she be? Like, but I'm also like, yeah, no, she knew some shit. Like, it's not like this Mm -hmm. little innocent move where she was like, oopsies, I made a boo boo. It's like, no, no, no. She knew because she was, you know, there were moments where she was acting deviously, you know, again, like I think that that Lake moment or whatever was a big pivotal part of that. But damn and then just to realize that like that it never, it never happened you're like wow like
1: it oh. never fucking happened her sister drowned when the underground that she was staying in as a bomb shelter got flooded and Robbie died of goddamn septicemia
0: yeah Oh, it trust, trust me I happened. know that I was like huh he died of septic shock well <gasps> thank god right? I didn't when I had yeah. septic shock
1: cause yeah. that shit looks horrible it looked so. <laughs> look like a horrible fucking way to go <laughs> but i just i was so mad the first time i saw this movie because i'm like wait we're supposed to feel for bryany is that what you're trying to get me to do and like am i a heartless person because i don't because i think she was supremely fucked up and at the wedding between paul and lola the chocolate millionaire and her cousin i Wondered why she went to that ceremony, and I think it's because she realized the truth of that situation way earlier, right? I think she knew Robbie didn't do it, and I think she knew exactly who it was right away, right? And it might not have been that night, but it was certainly sooner than 20, you know, than 10 years later, or whatever it was, or five years later. So I think she went to the wedding as a way to kind of stand up because. Lola gives her this look like, oh shit, what is she doing here? Yeah. And it gives me the impression that they fucking talked about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Again, like the debate with both, the thing I think it's interesting about both of these movies this week is that, okay, you have essentially children of privilege, right? Rich white kids who are
1: preventing true love from happening, which is so infuriating. And they're preventing it because they're being selfish about what they want. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the caveat being that
0: these kids are rich, white motherfuckers (laughs) who are like, they know better because they have, you know, it's like, they're like, oh, my God, like this girl's name, Bryony. And she writes plays. I'm like, give me a fucking break. Your cousin's name is Pierrot, for God's sake like <laughs> or the twins yeah. one of the twins is named Pierrot I mean god damn like what kind of people but it's that thing of like okay like she should have known better for sure she's not uh, and and I and because it is like okay I'm indicting a 13 year old for being a, for making some evil moves but like yeah she's 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 rich and white and has the education and all of the, you know, faculties to know at this
1: point what she's doing. Yes. And that that is the larger point, is that she protected her class status with this lie. So, yes. she, so it was also very selfish of her because she knew if she accused Paul, she knew what a shitstorm that would be. As yep. he's someone who's her brother's friend. He's a family friend. He's a millionaire. He's, you know, she knew yeah. that that would be a huge shitstorm that she didn't want to be at the center of. Yeah. So to blame Robbie was easier and quicker and helped you know her feel better. And it was just a very, very selfish move. But because, like you said, of her class status and her educational background, I think that that decision goes deeper than they were even showcasing in the film.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's not lost on me that both, you know, Robbie and Ron are gardeners or are, you know, working class, quote unquote, working class people in these films. And Mm -hmm. that is like a, a huge reason why there's drama in the movies. And I just, you know, it's it's just so interesting. I mean, we always talk about how the movies uh, are paired because they're thematically similar. But then all these other things, I'm like, oh, yeah. shit, Both these guys are gardeners? Oh, shit. Both these kids are rich?
1: No. No. Yes. Exactly. There's so many themes that connect, or so many tendrils that connect the theme once you yeah. start watching the movies. And that's what I, I love, discovering those kinds of surprises yeah. in the films. but
0: me too this movie did
1: me in and I was fucking pissed when I saw it and I was pissed years later when I watched it again and I am never going to be in a mindset to watch this movie and not think that kid's a piece of shit
0: yeah I mean listen it took me a long time to warm up to Saoirse Ronan not gonna lie because of this fucking movie like I was like all right she's in little women great like now I can really like see her for the talent that she is because all i remember is that when you were at atonement you were a fucking you created a shitstorm, and mm-hmm. now i can't look at you without thinking of this character but i wish you her
1: credit great actress but <laughs> great
0: actress <laughs> she fully inhabited that role i know oh for a long time i was like uh-uh i can't with her uh unfortunately my mind <sighs> oh, won't let man. me go there uh but i i'm so glad i got to watch this again because It had been, again, since it came out. I think I saw it in the movie theater. Uh, I did see a movie in a movie theater in 2000, and and this was one of them. This was um, it. (laughs) But, like, yeah, I just couldn't believe, like, all these, like, I mean, this was, like, early Karen Knightley. This was when Mm -hmm. James McAvoy came to the collective consciousness. I mean, it's like, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch. I didn't even realize he was in it. and Look who he is now. Amazing. Like, yeah, there's a lot of of famous people in this movie. So um, I'm glad I got to see it again
1: yeah it's a great film it is a great film but it, it will if you're like me it will make you very angry
0: yes i uh, i completely agreed i was fucking pissed again so what do you think what i think we did a very fine job of talking about the kids that were gonna fuck your shit up this week
1: um, i think we have sterling examples of kids fucking shit up
0: <laughs> happy mother's day to all the moms out there <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh god i feel so bad <laughs> happy was, mother's day <laughs>
0: kids will fuck your shit up this was probably our dirtiest episode yet on top
1: of that so uh <laughs> sorry moms but and more mom. than anything as per usual we 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 support parents we support motherhood we know that it's tough and that's why we picked this topic not to say your kids will fuck your shit up but just we know that parenting is hard and kids in general whether they mean it or not will very often fuck your shit up
0: (laughs) (laughs) at least the rich
1: white ones will (laughs) (laughs) do you want to tell them what the movies are for next week i i would love
0: to all right so yes our next episode episode 65 I don't know what that means. It's just the 65th episode. The movies are McCabe and Mrs. Miller from 1971 and Shane from 1953. Ooh, I can't guess wait. That's the thing. Well, listen, if you would like to email us, please do so at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. Send us anything for bonus episodes. We we want to hear all your stories. We read them on there um, and we love them. And um, also we have a P.O. box. I keep saying this. Uh, I don't know if anybody's taking this up on it, but if you go to the link tree um, in our Instagram profile, you'll see the P.O. box. So if you feel like, I don't know, but if you feel like sending us a, an actual physical letter, then you can do so at our P.O. box.
1: And you can also find us on our social media accounts. We are at I SawPod on Instagram and Twitter.
0: We also have merch uh, in the Exactly Right Shop at exactlyrightmedia.com.
1: And this is important. Remember, you can now listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free, plus all of our bonus episodes by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. So if you have the Wondery app, You can listen to the McCabe and Mrs. Miller slash Shane episode right now.
0: Yes, it could not be easier. Um, Well, Daniel, as always, it's been a pleasure doing a podcast with you. I love it so much.
1: So do I. Have a great week.
0: You too. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production, produced and mixed by Casey O'Brien. Our theme song is by Tom Breyfogle, artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hartstark, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at I Saw Pod. And you can email us at I Saw What You Did Pod at Gmail. Listen, follow, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free plus bonus episodes by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.